listening to a Sharesies podcast. It's Tuesday, the 2nd of November. You're listening to Recap, made for you by Sharesies. And Sharesies is a wealth development platform where our purpose is to create the most financially empowered generation. And here's the disclaimer. Investing involves risk. You aren't guaranteed to make money and you might lose the money you started with. Any information we provide is general only and current at the time. If you're looking for help with your investment choices, we recommend talking to a licensed financial advice provider. Hi Alice, how are you doing? Hey Jose, I'm well thank you, how are you? Oh very well then, I saw you weren't really doing a, a bop today with the music, you were doing more of a kind of a little side shimmy with your head. It's a new dance move I've come up with. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, you can't see it, but Alice is booging all over the place. It's quite quite something to see. Thanks for that, Alice. Good start. Let's uh, let's crack on because there's quite a bit to talk about today. What has yeah, been sure happening is. today, Alice? Well, to start us off, I have some news about Rivian Automotive or Rivian, uh, which is the American electric vehicle company. Ah, oh, right. Okay. So what's what's the deal with them? Back at the start of October, Rivian made a filing to the US Securities and Exchange Commission, which outlined the company's plans to do an initial public offering. Uh, so to put a uh, so to provide some context, Rivian is currently a privately held company, which means that it doesn't trade on an exchange, um, but it it wants to. So as a reminder, um, an initial public offering or IPO is one way for a company to go public or list on an exchange. Now during the process, the company uh, will usually issue new shares, becomes listed on the stock exchange, and often the company will also raise some capital uh, throughout the process. So, so Rivian's planning on doing an IPO then? That's correct. The company wants to list on the NASDAQ stock exchange under the ticker RIVN. Now, why Rivian's been in the news today is because new details about their planned IPO have been released. Mm, Okay, what happened? Well, Rivian filed um, an updated version of their prospectus with the Securities and Exchange Commission. So that's basically an updated version of those IPO plans that I mentioned Rivian had filed at the start of October. So it provides a few more details that were sort of still blanks uh, in the old version. Excellent. So what were they? Let's have the details. Yeah, so the information, the new information was that the company is planning on offering um, 135 million shares in the IPO, priced at between 57 and 62 US dollars. Now that means that the company is looking to raise up to 8.4 billion US dollars through doing the IPO. And with that share price range, that would also imply the valuation of Rivian as a whole company to be up to 54.6 billion US dollars. It's probably worth noting, though, that these numbers could change uh, based on actual demand from investors for shares in the company. And of course, once the shares are listed on the exchange, nobody actually knows how the share price will move. So, So when's this IPO happening? Well, there's rumours that Rivian could go public as soon as next week. Uh, There's other rumours saying that it might be this month, but that's not confirmed. We don't actually know at this point in time, but uh, all we can do is keep an eye on the news and look out for any further updates that Rivian makes to its filings with the SEC. 
Cool, but why does it feel like I saw Rivian in the news recently? Well, that's because it was just revealed a couple of days ago that Amazon, obviously the Jeff Bezos big Amazon, holds about 20% of ownership in Rivian. Now that's on top of a reported 5% stake that Ford Motors holds in Rivian as well. Very interesting. Thank you very much, Alice. Okay, so this week, world leaders are meeting at the COP26 Climate Summit in Scotland. But there's also been a large corporate presence there uh, too, Jose. What news have you got for us from Glasgow? <laughs> well, I'm not physically in Glasgow, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm in Auckland. But one day I will get back over to Glasgow. It's a great city. But like you said, Alice, there are at least 200 countries represented at the summit. There's also leaders from the corporate world who are keen to show off ways that they are addressing the climate crisis. And included in that is Santos, the Australian oil and gas, uh, gas giant, excuse me, who have announced that they are to go ahead with a multi-million dollar carbon storage project. All right, so what's the background on Santos? Yeah, so Santos is the second largest oil and gas producer in Australia. They are headquartered out of Adelaide. They're, now, to give you some sense of their size, their half-year earnings in August, they recorded a $354 million Australian dollar profit after tax. Um, interestingly, last year it was named in a list of 65 of Australia's worst greenhouse gas emitters by the Footprint News website. And after pressure applied by shareholders, the uh, company pledged to achieve net zero emissions by 2040. Right, so presumably this carbon storage plan is part of that emissions target? Absolutely, you got it in one. Now the CEO, Kevin Gallagher, said the company and its partner, Beach Energy, will spend $220 million to build the carbon dioxide project in South Australia, close to its gas plant in Noomba. He said that the project would capture and store 1.7 million tonnes of carbon per year uh, from the natural gas fields in the area, and it is due to come online in 2024. Okay, so I guess my question is, what's in it for Santos to put such a big project in motion? Yeah, well, according to Gallagher, it's a step in the direction of meeting their uh, decarbonisation obligations, but they'll also receive a lot of carbon credits. So they'll be able to claim credit units from the Australian Clean Energy Regulator for 25 years uh, after the project got the all clear. According to the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis, uh, with the carbon price being around about $17 a tonne, the project would make around 720 million carbon credits in its lifetime. Okay, so can you just remind me how carbon credits work again? Yeah, it's a good question. So basically it's a market-driven method to incentivise companies to reduce their emissions. Your One carbon credit represents one tonne of CO2. Too. So if you're a polluting company, you basically have to buy the amount of carbon credits to offset your emissions. Whereas if you're a company that reduces emissions, like storing carbon, you can earn carbon credits. So you know, like for example, uh, Santos, instead of releasing their carbon into the air, they're going to store it and receive credits based on how much carbon they're not releasing. And they can sell those credits to other companies, right? Exactly right, and there is your incentive, or at least that's the idea. The carbon credit trading does have its critics. Some say that it puts off that huge systemic change, moving from polluting technologies to ones that don't, and it doesn't always work out the way everyone expects. For example, a similar carbon capture project in Western Australia run by Chevron ran into technical issues. It actually failed to reduce its emissions, pushing out 4 to 5 million tonnes instead of storing 
destroying it. Now that means the US-based Chevron will actually have to pay a penalty to the Western Australian government. A decision on the size of the penalty is apparently due soon. All right, I'll wrap us up today with some news from Coca-Cola. Cool. So Coca-Cola, of course, being the huge uh, beverage giant listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, and take a guess at just how many countries and territories Coca-Cola sells their products in. I'm going to take a guess and say it's 110. You could almost double that answer, Jose. Uh, of course you it's can, It's actually yeah. 200, yeah. Um, well, according to their website. Pretty much just every country in the world almost, right? <laughs> yeah. I should, I should have gone for 200, never mind. But that's not just one Coke, right? Like that's all the different types of drinks? Yeah, exactly. Coca-Cola has a whole portfolio of different brands. So uh, not only their namesake Coca-Cola, the drink, they also have Sprite and Fanta as the other soft drinks. And then they have a whole lot of other drinks, brands, um, like in the sports space, coffees, teas. They've even got like juice, dairy and plant-based beverage brands. Uh, and that is what this news is about today. So Coca-Cola has added another brand to their portfolio. Really? Okay. So what's that? Yeah. So Coca-Cola announced yesterday that they have bought um, sports drink maker Body Armor. Now Body Armor describes itself as a premium sports drink that provides superior hydration. Um, and it goes up against the likes of Gatorade and Powerade. Now the drink has electrolytes, uh, coconut water and antioxidants in it. And the company was created in 2011. But what really helped spark growth and awareness for the brand, I found this quite interesting, was when Kobe Bryant, the late basketball superstar, became a major shareholder in the company back in 2013. Mm, so what sparked Coca-Cola to buy Body Armor? Well, this move hasn't come completely out of the blue. Back in 2018, Coca-Cola bought 15% of Body Armor, making Coca-Cola the company's second largest shareholder at the time. Uh, Kobe Bryant, who I was just talking about, was the company's third largest shareholder. Mm, okay, I see. But now Coca-Cola's brought up the rest of the company? Yeah, that's right. Now, Coca-Cola said back in February that the company was planning on buying a controlling interest in Body Armor later this year. And so Coca-Cola's bought the remaining 85% of the company for $5.6 billion US dollars. But that makes the deal Coca-Cola's largest brand purchase to date. Um, as for how it will fit into Coca-Cola's company, well, it will be managed as a separate business within um, Coca-Cola's North American operating unit. And Body Armor's co-founder and chairman, uh, Mike Riepel, will continue to work within the business. Now, what does this mean for Coke? Well, remember what I said before about the other two big players in this space being Gatorade and Powerade? Mm. Well, according to Coke, uh, Body Armor is currently the number two drink in the premium sports and hydration beverages space in the US, number one being Gatorade. So Powerade is already owned by Coca-Cola, but Gatorade is owned by their big rival, PepsiCo. So this move helps Coke get market share in this sports drink space. Ah, Coke versus Pepsi, amazing. Sound, it feels like the 80s again. Thanks very much, Alice. Appreciate that. And that brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. That was recap for the 2nd of November. And we'd love it if you gave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Absolutely. Matiwa. See you tomorrow. Bye.